Hello, everyone. Hello, my dear audience. I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. Today, once again, we'll have an open mic show. Please feel free to call anytime if you have a question or comment regarding the subject we're discussing. But if you have a personal problem, physical or emotional, and would like my assistance here on the air, I will gladly pause my presentation and do my best addressing your issue. The number to call is 888-874-4888. Again, 888-874-4888. Also, if you have a trouble listening to us through the internet because of poor internet connection, uh, you can use the listen live by phone number, and it is 1641-793-7091. By the way, if you have a question uh, or an issue, but you're uncomfortable to speak about it on the air, you can send me an email. Um, and if I can, I will address the issue in uh, during the following show. My email is drpeterresnik at gmail.com. D-R-P-E-T-E-R-R-E-Z-N-I-K at gmail.com. Ladies and gentlemen, I've also just thought of something. Uh, you remember Anne from Franklin, New Jersey? Uh, she introduced this morning technique that Dr. Stefan Chang teaches, the wiggling of the big toes. Uh, has anybody been doing it? I wonder. Please let me know if you have. I have been doing it every morning, and I love it. Also, I want to announce, announce it again. I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago. On October 20th this year, I begin to teach yet another master course for professionals at my now virtual Center for Mind-Body Integrative Therapy. It is a totally experiential course. During about a year and a half, I teach all the tools I utilize as a therapist and, most importantly, how to utilize these tools while working with diverse populations, diverse problems, and super diverse, unique characters of people. This spring, I finished teaching the course I started in 2021, and now I intend to teach another course. The course is open to physicians, nurses, psychologists, social workers, and persons who belong to a relatively new profession, life coaches. If any of you are interested, please send me an email, and I will send you all the related information. Again, my email is uh, drpeterresnik at gmail.com. Last week, I spoke to you about the Torah making a case of how I know the Torah is a divine document, not, not of human origin. Uh, if you're questioning the divinity of the Torah or did not have a chance to listen to the last week's show, I highly recommend that, that you go to the archives of PRN and listen to the show, or better, buy a book by Zamir Cohen, Z-A-M-I-R, Cohen, C-O-H-E-N. The book is titled Science, 
comes of age, modern discoveries of ancient wisdom. It's the second edition of the book. The first edition was published under the title, The Coming Revolution. Before I start our journey into studying the Torah, I would like to share with you an email I received from Canada. Dear Dr. Resnick, that was the second email. The first one, um, in the first one, the author simply introduced herself and said kind words about the work that I do and this show. Thank you. Uh, and ask a couple of questions. Uh, but here what she wrote in her email, a uh, second email. Dear Dr. Resnick, thank you so much for your speedy reply to my questions. I have, was quite surprised to see it arrive so quickly. I really like your presentation. It's such an important one. For the last three years, that's what I wanted you to hear, ladies and gentlemen. For the last three years, uh, I was an internet warrior and a daily activist involved in many groups, waking up people everywhere I went to the dangers of the shot, masks, globalist agenda, etc. And the importance of detoxing from the jabs. I also helped design and hand out various pamphlets and stickers. And my t-shirts made me a walking billboard. Although daily repetition of the negative narrative made me, uh, may, uh, may have saved thousands of lives, I eventually caved and my frequency dropped. That's when I limited my time on the internet and let go of, of saving humanity one person at a time. Many of my fellow activists were also looking for an effective way to help as they were burning out as well. That's when I decided to use my spiritual knowledge and start a spiritual warfare group. Self-care is more important than ever these days um, in which lies thrown at us at every turn. Being in the know is exactly is extremely important because deceit makes us doubt our inner guidance and intuition. This makes these times doubly, doubly, doubly dangerous. And now I have now have a large diversity, diverse community of brave and awake people, and they have helped save many my sanity, especially during the crazy lockdowns times of fear form. I have worn many hats, including healer, spiritual teacher and therapist, to name but a few, which is which is why I can relate to and appreciate your broadcasts. All the best with your latest endeavor. I look forward to hearing and hopefully seeing the results with loving appreciation for your kindness and generosity. Ta -ta -ta. Ladies and gentlemen, I ask the author's permission to read this email on the show and to respond on the air. Well, first I admire the author for making a real effort in educating people. She was not just outraged, spoke about her outrage to family and friends and lived quietly with 
hardcore righteous indignation. She acted, made flowers, made t-shirts, and spoke up in public. She is also involved with the website. Um, you can visit the website. It's theylied.ca. Theylied.ca. Check it out, please. I checked it out. It's very interesting. So if you wonder what can be done when you listen to the news and you don't like what you hear or you doubt or you totally disagree with what you're hearing and, and you're bombarded from virtually every TV and radio station by this information, here's an example. Um, a person is actually doing something. Let me also comment uh, uh, about this email. Mother Teresa said there is no great, there are no great things, only small things done with great love. And the author of the email did, did just that. Educating people, I believe, is the most important thing one can do in the environment of misinformation and blunt deceit, connecting with like-minded people, refusing to follow the beat of the drum of fear. These are wonderful and courageous actions that you and your friends have been making. Uh, but if you started feeling burned out, my take on it, it means you had anger and resentment toward the people who were doing all that evil. So you fueled them with your energy and you depleted yourself. And if you spend too much time doing this wonderful work, neglecting self-care, you undermine your success and your efforts. Now, your words, I decided to use my spiritual knowledge and start spiritual warfare group, alarmed me a little bit. Spiritual warfare is a contradiction in terms. It's like jihad, holy war. War cannot be holy. War always means division, not wholeness. War has never brought anything uh, good, didn't bring end to suffering. When Mother Teresa asked how to, uh, to, to join, to ask against Vietnam War by the organizers of the march, she said no. But she said, if you work for peace, I will be there. Burning out means not being connected with the source, particularly when speaking up for truth. One must begin the day by fueling oneself. How? With the prayer of gratitude. In whatever language and custom, they can do it. Then praying for those on the other side to find their ways to goodness. Dr. Martin Luther King and Mahatma Gandhi did not wage war. They called for self-respect and non-participation in the other side's negativity and aggression. That's all I wanted to say regarding the email. Uh, okay, now, uh, if there are no calls, yeah, no calls. So we are back to Torah. If you want to buy the book, 
so you could follow our discussions and possibly read some chapters ahead of time. I want you to know that I'm using the stone edition, S-T-O-N-E edition of the Humash, C-H-U-M-A-S-H. Humash is a Torah in the printed and book-bound um, form, as opposed to the Sefer Torah, which is a scroll. You can buy the book in any Judaica store or online. They have them on Amazon. I checked. By the way, the word Humash comes from the Hebrew word for five, Hamesh, alluding to the five books of Torah. The Torah is also known by the Latinized Greek term Pentateuch uh, in common printed editions. So when you hear the word Humash, or Pentateuch, or Torah, it's the same thing, Torah. Once again, honestly, I, I'm not exaggerating. I do not know, I believe, I do not know 1% of what a good rabbi knows. So, what I will be sharing with you during these talks is greatly influenced by the works of these people, Rabbi Dr. Svi Weinrab, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, the former chief rabbi of the British Commonwealth, Rabbi Psychiatrist Abraham Tversky, Rabbi Yosef Mizrahi, Rabbi Menis Friedman, Dennis Prager, who is not a rabbi but has also been a scholar and teacher of Torah for over four decades, and Rabbi Asher Vaknin. That's a wonderful rabbi of the synagogue where I go to pray. My understanding of every chapter of the Torah was enriched by the writings and or the lectures. I will not be giving credit for each of them uh, to each of them every time I say something, but I want you to know that most of the things I will be sharing with you come from my studies of their works, plus some of my modest, very modest contributions. But if any of you would want to know about the source of any of my statements, please don't hesitate writing to me, and I will gladly provide you with the info of where this or that particular idea or insight came from. We're beginning our exploration of the Torah, by the way, uh, the word Torah literally means instruction or guidance or law. The Torah consists of five books. They are often called the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We are starting with the first book of the Torah, Genesis. In Hebrew, it is called Bereshit. This book is broken up in 12 portions, and they altogether contained 50 chapters. The whole Torah, by the way, is broken up into 187 chapters. The first portion of the book of Genesis is also called Bereshit, Genesis. This portion is told as a cosmological and anthropological narrative. First, the beginning of the universe. Second, the beginning of humanity. 
the portion covers six chapters and eight verses. So today we start with the chapter one. It's only 31 verses. And finally, let us begin with the first verse. The first verse says, Bereshit bara Elohim et chashamayim ve'et hararetz. Translated into English as, In the beginning God created heaven and earth. But that is not a literal translation, by the way. Uh, the literal translation is, In the beginning God created and heaven and earth. It's all relevant, as you will see very soon. Every word, every proposition, every pause, every repetition, everything is relevant. Because there are hidden codes and messages everywhere. We start with the word Bereshit, as it's translated correctly, in the beginning. It means there came into existence the beginning. Before there was nothing, no matter, no time, no space, nothing but God. Nothing else could exist since God occupied everything. After the word Bereshit, the beginning, comes the word bara, meaning created. But how could anything be created when God occupied everything? If God is everything, nothing else can exist. Nothing else can be created because God takes all the space. So the Kabbalists, and we'll talk later about those uh, people who are called Kabbalists, uh, for now, let's say, sages, came up with the idea that in order to create the world, God had to do what they called tzimtzum, meaning contraction. God had to contract himself to create empty space into which then God created heaven and earth. That's why, by the way, a woman is most similar to God. She contracts herself, making space within herself for the creature in the image and likeness of herself to come into being. But I'm running a bit ahead of myself, we'll get to humans soon. So, creation originated heaven and earth. Under heaven, we understand the spiritual realm, and under earth, we understand all matter, including the planet Earth. That's what the modern science says about, uh, calls Big Bang the creation of matter. All matter, physicists say, is a subject to time. Where there is no matter, there is no time. So time was created as well. But who created all that? The next word, remember Bereshit, bara Elohim. Next word is Elohim. So in the beginning created Elohim. What is Elohim? Who is Elohim? 
The word Elohim, by the way, is plural. Understanding of this predicament requires a little detour. Uh, when Greeks translated Torah in the third century before Common Era, that was 1,000 years after Torah was given to the Hebrew at the Mount of Sinai. The, the, <clears throat> excuse me, I have a sip of my tea. <clears throat> the Greeks had many gods. They had their own creation story. According to the Greek creation story, in the beginning there was chaos and absolute nothingness. Out of the void emerged Gaia, the earth, and other divine beings, Eros, love, the abyss, part of the ground, underground, and the Erebus, the unknowable place where death dwells. Without male assistance, Gaia gave birth to Uranus, the sky, who then fertilized her. Born of Uranus, the sky, and Gaia, the earth, came Cronus, time. That's why in old times they called watches chronometers. Cronus was the youngest uh, of, their, of their offsprings and perhaps the most powerful. In Greek mythology, Cronus was the primordial god of time. He was described as a destructive, all-devouring, and unstoppable force. That was the Greek cosmology. Many other cultures had similar stories. First chaos, then someone gives birth, there is struggle, love, affection, or no love affection, simply uh, some kind of sexual act, and here we go. So as the Greeks translated uh, the Torah, when they translated the word Elohim, and understood that Elohim created something, they understood, okay, that was God. Because he was creating everything. And while reading the Torah, anytime they encountered the name of someone who was creating, they understood it was the same guy, just with a different name. They called all of them Theo. Then it traveled into Latin as Dua, and into English as God. But in truth, in Hebrew, there is no generic name God. In reality, as we read Torah, we come across 13 names of God, such as Elohim, Shaddai, Adonai, Hashem, and so on. But the Greeks did not understand that all those names were meaningful. They were all principles, manifestations of different quality, or manifestations of the facets of the Creator. Now, back to Bereshit bara Lokim. What one may ask, if the word Lokim is plural, does it mean that there are many gods? No. But the Torah is given in the plural because when, when the Torah was given, when people worshipped many gods, 
attributing to them various powers, like Baal in Canaan was the god of rain, and Asarte of Phoenicia was fertility, fertility goddess, or storm god Marduk in Mesopotamia, and so on. So Elohim, plural, God, means the one who contains all powers. The God which contains in himself the powers. So the, literally it's powers. So what we do we learn for this, from these three words, Bereshit bara Elohim? One, God is the source and home of all powers and is a creator of the universe. Number two, everything except God has a beginning. God has been always. Number three, time is born with the physical universe. God is not bound by time. God is beyond time. God is not attached to a space. God created space or nature, or time. God is beyond time. God is the source of all of them. So, God, being beyond time, is able to see past, present, and future, because God himself is not bound by time. Number four, for the first time in human history, there is a presentation of God not as a sexual being, and God was not, not only God is not a sexual being, but God was not born out of, as a result of sex. God was not created. God always was. God is, and God will be when the physical universe ceases to exist. And now let's go a little back to the word bara, created. Have you ever seen anything being created without a purpose? Later in this chapter, we'll learn that a human being was created in the image and likeness of the Creator. Since the Creator, or God, is beyond our understanding, at least at this point, we can understand somewhat the Creator, by looking at the little copy, the image and likeness of the Creator, a human being. Now, ladies and gentlemen, have you ever seen anything that a human being created, having no purpose? The computer I'm using has a purpose. Eyeglasses I wear have a purpose. The teacup with, yes, my ginger tea has a purpose. The table, toilet paper, a guitar, a boat, all have a purpose. So we're learning from the, in the beginning God created, that whatever God created had a purpose. There is a, even a little hint to the purpose of creation. Within these words, Bereshit bara Alakim, isn't it incredible? Even though a uh, majority of scholars, of sages, say it is not possible to know God 
or God's in full intentions. But as I said, we can uh, contemplate. In fact, within one word, there is a hint to the purpose of creation. And that's the word bara, translated into English, created. But the Hebrew word bara for created has yet another meaning. And the other meaning is revealed. And here we, are, we have a situation that God created the universe for the purpose. God wanted something or someone to reveal him, himself to. So God revealed himself to. So we can read it as in the beginning, God revealed himself. To whom? Heaven and earth. Because remember, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Or God, in the beginning, God revealed himself to heaven and earth. Those who were growing up with religion were usually taught that they need God. But did, did these people, did any of us ask for God to create us or anybody to be born and go to school and to struggle and go to college and to get married? and take an enormous responsibility to raise children and pay mortgage. Who needs it? So we didn't need it. We didn't ask it for it. So God created the universe because God had the needs. We were taught always that we need God. No, God needed us. Then later we discovered that it pays to follow God. But in the beginning, God needed us. In fact, I heard a young man, and I heard that it's a true story. A young man who took his parents, and these days, you know, everything is possible. He took his parents to court, demanding that they continue supporting him, even though he was a grown man. Because, he said, they did not ask, he did not ask to be born. And because they did not ask his consent, and did it without his permission, they were to take care of him. Logical, isn't it? Well, the case was thrown out by the judge. Both parents have to be lawyers. And they said they were looking for him to ask for his consent, but they could not find him. Anyway, what we are learning is that even though God is the creator of everything there is, which means everything is within God, and it would seem that God needs nothing. God has everything. And yet, God is still in need. In need for what? Remember, oh yeah, remember the movie Castaway? It came out approximately 15 years ago, maybe, maybe a little less. The character played by Tom Hanks, he had everything. He, he's stranded on the island. Remember, he worked for Federal Express. The, there is a plane crash, and he ends up on the uninhabited island far away 
from major uh, traffic routes. So he's all by himself. But he discovered everything there, food, fresh water, clean air. Yet he attempted to commit suicide by hanging himself, himself off the tree. And the branch broke. Then he built a flimsy raft and he went into an open ocean for what? In the hope, one chance in a million, that some passing boat would find him. So, God was in need for what? To have someone to reveal himself to. To have someone to give to. To have the company of those who can appreciate him. To have someone, to have a partner in creation. Isn't it uh, quite a different perspective? Rabbi Manis Friedman tells a story of um, giving a consultation uh, of a, to a teenage girl who had anorexia. Her parents begged him to see her because no psychologist could help. You know people who refuse to eat, uh, it's, it's called anorexia nevrosa. Some actually emaciate themselves and die unless they are put on intravenous, forcefully intravenous feeding. So the girl met the rabbi and said to him, I'm not going to start eating. I hate eating. I just hate it. And the rabbi said, I hate it too. It's annoying. You're absolutely right. You must find time to eat. Some food does not taste good. Sometimes you get bloated. You pass gas. You burp. You gain weight. You must watch your cholesterol. Ah, oh, it's exhausting. And she started laughing and said, you are worse than me. Do you eat? And he said, yes, because God needs me to. I do not know why God created Digest, a digestive system or a productive system. That's how he created it. But that's since God created it, us the way God wanted. I just have to do what God wants me to do. Create, God created me just as God wanted me to be. So God would reveal himself. God needs us to eat. And uh, Rabbi Friedman says she started eating because suddenly she understood that it's not that somebody uh, asked her to eat because it was good for her. It was not about her now. It was what God wanted her to do. So. What we learned so far is God created the universe because of God's need to reveal himself. Always remember, ladies and gentlemen, we are dealing with the divine text. So there is no mistake, no wrong word uh, in the right place, not a pause, nothing doesn't belong. If there is something that does not fit, it means there is a hint there for an inquisitive mind to ponder deeper. As we go just a little further, you will see 
let's look back at the in the beginning God created heaven and earth. As I said above, sounds perfect grammatically, but that's a translation. The original text uh, goes Bereshit bara lokim et chashamayim ve'et haaretz. So the literal translation is that in the beginning God created and heaven and earth. But that is not grammatically correct. Heaven and earth is correct. Why do you need to say and heaven and earth? The first word and does not belong there. And and as we said, since it doesn't belong, there must be a hint on something. Since nothing is in the Torah is accidental. Let's look at this word and. In English, the word and consists of three letters, A and D. In Hebrew, the word and is et, uh, and it consists of two letters, aleph and taf. Ah, aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and the taf is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's like in English would be A to Z. And in the first Torah sentence, it will sound like this. What the sages suggested, in the beginning, God created A to Z, or the alphabet, comma, heaven and earth. That is, first God created, yes, the alphabet. Before creating the world, God created a blueprint, the Torah, the book of instruction with its basic tenets was created before heaven and earth. Because God knew, remember, God is beyond time. So for God, the whole universe, creation of the universe, development of the universe, development of humanity, the end of humanity is all just a second, less than a second. So God knew that without the instruction, nothing good would come out of the world. One may say, if God knew that the world would become corrupt, violent, ungodly, why not to create a better world? Ah, this brings us back to God's need to reveal himself. God himself revealed himself to who? God wanted to reveal himself to trees. They're, they're totally dependent on him. To the horses, to the dolphins, they're programmed to be a certain way. They're not his equal. God wanted to reveal himself to someone like him, who could, who could appreciate the whole complexity of creation. But to create a human, who is like him, God needed to give the human freedom to choose, just like the creator himself has freedom to choose. And that's where all the problems began. But all that will come later, as we talk about the creation of man. For now, we're just trying to understand the full meaning of the first sentence in Torah. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. I think we covered a little bit the first three words. In the beginning, God created. And now, let's understand 
what it was that God God created, heaven and earth. The heaven will not be mentioned in the Torah again. Well, in a couple of places, in the fifth book of Deuteronomy, uh, and only inferentially, at some point God said, and the commandments I have given to you are not in heaven, implying that they're here on earth. But there is no talk in the whole Torah about heaven and life there. The whole Torah, after mentioning the creation of heaven in the first verse, speaks only about the earth and how to live on the earth. So unlike many religions which speak about the purpose of life being getting to heaven, what we slowly understand from studying Torah is that the purpose of life on earth is not for us to go to heaven, but to bring God, godliness, to earth. I think we covered to the degree I could uh, the first verse. Now, um, are there any calls? No calls. Uh, Now let's read the second verse. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So here we read about chaos, total chaos. Remember the Greek creation story. In the beginning, there was chaos and absolute nothingness. The Torah teaches that even that chaos was part of what God created in the, at the initial stage. There are steps, a divine order, which is followed here. There is consensus, by the way, among the scientists that the young Earth was bombarded by collisions with other celestial bodies, a dense mixture of gases, dust, and debris enveloped the Earth. And the sun was considerably, we're talking about three, four billion years ago, the sun was considerably dimmer than it is today. All that rendered the earth essentially as it is described in the verse, darkness within the deep, the greater darkness of the universe. But we read in the same verse, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the the face of the waters. Now, on May 17th, I found this Harvard Gazette from Harvard University published an article stating that the recent studies suggest that a few billion years ago, Earth was virtually a water world, completely covered by the global ocean. And remember what we read, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the Earth. So in the beginning, first we have, in the first verse, we are looking at the universe from God's perspective. God creates heaven and earth. But now 
we are looking now as if we are watching the earth and we are observing these waters covering the ocean, uh, covering the earth and it's only water. So when we read and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, God is informing us that the stages of creative process of making the earth, but also that God was directly involved hovering over the, over the, the waters, was directly involved, was supervising, if you may, all what was happening. Here, uh, I have pause uh, with the question, if the Torah is a book of instruction on how to create a functional society, why not to start the whole Torah with Ten Commandments? Well, uh, the opinion of the rabbis was that God wanted to humanity to understand how it came to be, that the world needed these commandments, and why? God is not Jewish. God created all his creatures and all people on earth. So God needed for people on the earth, uh, once his book becomes known to the world, to understand how it, became, it came to be that the Hebrews uh, were entrusted this body of knowledge. And that's uh, the ultimate purpose. The ultimate purpose is that people of the earth will begin to follow God's way. As we'll read much, much later in the book of Exodus, God said to the Hebrews, you will be the nation of priests. Priests, excuse me, priests preach, it, priests preach, priests teach. Who do you teach? To the other nations. To the other nations, of course. But that did not happen. Much later, we'll understand why. Much later, we'll understand why it did not happen. Uh, let's see if, uh, I, I want to pause and see if there are any questions, if there are any callers. Have any questions regarding what we just covered? Uh, yeah, no callers, no callers. Okay, we'll continue. At least there is feedback. They, they <laughs> send me a text from the studio, no callers. So, and I know somebody is listening to me at the studio. So, okay, let me have a sip um, of my ginger tea and we continue. By the way, <clears throat> uh, okay, let me, no, I, I wanted to tell you another story, but I always get carried away with stories and, and I don't want to, to run ahead of myself. The story is from the, the second chapter. We'll get to the second chapter. Okay. Now we continue with the verse 3. And God said, Let there be light. 
and there was uh, let, let's actually uh, let's be ambitious and continue into verse four because they're so connected that I'm even questioning why they separated us. So verse three and four, let there be light and there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. Well, first there was, oh, we have a caller. Daryl from the Bronx. Oh, wonderful. We can, <laughs> we can pause with the light being good in the darkness, and we'll take Daryl's call. Daryl, you're on the air. Welcome. Daryl McPherson, and thank you so much, Dr. Resnick, for doing what you do. A, your services and your, your, your kindness to humans are needed more than ever. Two, the Thanks. teaching of the Torah yes. at 2 o'clock in the afternoon is absolutely a wonderful thing. I am a, um, I'm going to call it a completed Torah. Or I, I belong to a spiritual practice uh -huh. that believes that the Torah was the beginning, and then there was a fulfillment. And I've got, like, tons of questions to ask you. However, what I want to focus on, uh, well, I want to share with you that uh, the woman who became the spiritual warrior, yes. um, I agree with you in the, in the um, analysis that a lot of that comes out of fear and... and uh, for failure to understand agape, uh, un, um, <clears throat> unrequited, not unrequited, uh, love without, without expectation. And, and the spiritual warrior piece comes directly out of, and uh, forgive me for failing to quote, out of the themes of the early conquest, quote-unquote conquest, um, so it, it's interesting that you were able to, and I'm hoping that you were successful in getting the person to explore that um, in the after the um, after the settling that um, the warfare is no longer necessary. It's interesting that you spoke about Gandhi. And King, and and what I I, I uh, look at is um, once again in my spiritual practice. If I am supposed to act like Jesus, so that I'm worthy of uh, I am uh, Agape, the Father God Yahweh's son. Um, how how do I? Hmm, I'm, I'm looking at managing, consciously I've got this thing down. My thing is that subconsciously I sabotage almost everything that I do. So the thought, the piece here is, is that, one, I want to thank you again for teaching the Torah. Is it available uh, in podcasts so I can listen to it? 
again and and if I miss any of the episodes. And also, would entrainment therapy mm-hmm. be a way to better be obedient? Because what I get out of um, what we call the Old Testament was, I have... A, I have yet to see one time in which the Hebrews obeyed, or Christians for that matter, if that you call it, obeyed what the Father asked. And the Father has given you everything because, as you said, he had to contract himself in order to even create a space for you. Daryl, Daryl, oh, wonderful. I'm so happy you called and in, in what you just said why we haven't been doing it. Remember, I just said that God gave us all the commandments and what God wanted, for example, the Hebrews to become holy nation and, and the priests, and it didn't happen. And I said, well, we'll talk about it later. Why? But since you're talking about it, that is why. Because Hebrews failed to follow God's word. When we continue when we continue to reading Torah, we'll see how over and over and over they disobey. They do not follow the instruction. And so far, humanity, even though uh, uh, Hebrews must be grateful to the Christians for taking still the, the commandments and bringing them to the world, because Hebrews remained a very small, small group of people, because they were slaughtered over and over again, and we'll talk about it why. But but Hebrews, remember, are as ancient as the Chinese people. And there is 1.6 billion Chinese, and there is 13.5 million Hebrews. So Hebrews failed, and other nations who, who followed, even Christians, failed 100% to follow. Why? Because... It's hard, Daryl. It's hard. I am a teacher to people. I've been in practice for 45 years. And I have to tell you, right now, we have a holiday, Rosh Hashanah, coming up. During, it's cool. like a new year, during which we atone for the mistakes that we made. And I find every year, over and over, I, I, I ask for forgiveness for the same mistakes that I made. It's hard. So... We, I, it's such a good subject that you brought up. Why it's just so hard? I would love, if you don't mind, uh, we're already running out of time. We have four minutes left. I would love you to call again, and we'll have dialogue about it. Why is it that we know the right thing and we don't follow it? That's a, now that is a little bit more uh, in, in my field, because I am, you know, Dr. Peter Resnick's toolbox. I have a lot of toolbox, tools in my box to to work on refining yourself. But even One though word. I have all those tools, I find that I, di- I cannot say that I transformed all qualities that I would like to transform. I'm working on them, but it's not it's not a simple thing because we have now psychology, philosophy that teaches us totally different things from what is so clearly written in our spiritual texts. So let's let's Daryl let's let's agree to meet here next week. Uh, call whenever you can, and we'll continue this dialogue. I love I love that you called and you brought 
probably the most important subject. But I give you, okay, let me give you a little hint, Daryl. You're here with me? 30 seconds. Okay. So somebody recently you asked me, uh, I, somebody called and said, listen, a, a Christian person said, I, I know the Gospels. I, the Gospels can be explained in a couple of words. Lord Jesus Christ came to teach us love and forgiveness. So can you explain what the Old Testament, what Torah teaches in few words? I said, yes, four words. One, instruction, because that's what Torah is. Two, creator. Creator cre gave us the book of instruction. Three, community, because the whole purpose of God giving us Torah is, or instruction, is create a functional community. And four, fourth word is boundaries. The way you create functional com uh, community is through clear boundaries between people and people and between people and God. So I give this to you, this four. And by the way, I <laughs> I shared with Rabbi Vaknin, with my, he's my rabbi, he's my friend, my answer. And I can tell you, he said, that was a perfect answer. I'm sure that there were many other answers, but that seemed to him acceptable. So I want you to take this uh, idea of four and play with it in, in your mind. And then it may, be, uh, it may be an interesting dialogue about uh, community boundaries and what does not allow us to create that perfect community and which boundaries we are disrespecting. Because remember, a lot of physical illnesses, and that's what I work with as a therapist, I work with a lot of cancer patients, and cancer is broken boundaries, where one cell breaks the boundaries of other cells. So it's a, it's a good subject to discuss. Uh, Daryl, thank you very much for calling, and I really hope, and thank you for your kind words, I really hope that you call again. And regarding uh, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, yes, if somebody can find the time from the physical toiling and connect with something that is spiritual, that's, that's fantastic. I agree with you. Again, thank you for calling. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being with me today. I'm looking forward to hear, to having your attention next week, Tuesday. Uh, be happy and peace to all who want to live in peace.